so strange during the week. It feels like every day is like Friday or Saturday. You kind of lose track, and then you're, you're like, oh, it's, it's Sunday. And it's still, everything's just so, so different. Um, today, we're gonna, we've got two more weeks, today and next week uh, in First Peter. Um, I'm feeding back. Tyler will fix it when he comes back out in just a minute. Uh, and next week, super exciting, Andrew Hendricks is going to be teaching for us next week, one of our own, so don't want to get you nervous yet. You've got several days before you can start sweating, but Andrew's going to teach for us and close this series out next week, so we're excited about that. Uh, but today, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, if you want to go ahead and open there. Uh, we're going to have it up on the screen as well. Um, but it's been a chaotic morning, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in and uh, see, what, see what God wants to say today. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for, thank you for being a shepherd that we need so desperately. We thank you for being the voice that we can trust in the midst of so many, many voices uh, that are getting louder and louder and just trying to, uh, trying, to break, trying to break our peace. God, I pray that we hear yours above all. Um, God, I pray that we do the work that's necessary to hear yours because I know it's not easy and we have to sift through so much stuff. And so, God, I pray that we would. We'd put in the effort. We would make the time. We would see the value uh, in seeking uh, ultimate truth that comes from you. God, today as we look, look at your word, I pray that it would speak to us. I pray that it would guide us, and um, I pray that we could be honest with what we're dealing with, what we're going through in our life, and what we're going to go through in our life, and we could see the goodness in it and uh, the goodness in you. We thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're at a point in 1 Peter in which uh, he's been addressing uh, the scattered believers, modern-day Turkey, and over the last couple of chapters, like, it seems like the returning topic or the overarching topic has been this idea of suffering. Like, you're going to experience it, it's going to happen, and he's been speaking about it kind of in a general sense. He's talked about just hardship and pressure and weight, things that are, that are difficult, but he's also talked about persecution, um, which is real for this time where they were, like, the, the persecution wasn't from... Um, a huge governmental level yet, but it was there. It was more of a cultural one-by-one -one incident versus an entire culture railing against Christianity. It would happen for them later. It just hasn't happened yet. Um, they've kind of been spared for that based on their geographic location. Um, and then today, he's continuing this idea of suffering, but he brings it to a very specific place um, in the, the idea and the realm of like testing and trials. Uh, I'm a big fan of the book of James. Like, it's probably, it was one of those pivotal books for me in which I got to spend a lot of time. And it opens up, you know, just talking about uh, brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall under various trials or trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Man, so good. But in that, there's this crazy idea that he says, have joy in the midst of trials or count it all joy. Be joyful in trials. Today, we're going to jump off um, kind of starting in verse 12. I want to go ahead and read this entire text. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you that I'm, I'm going to function a little bit out of my, my normal, my comfort zone. And we're going to read all of it, but we're kind of really going to focus on, man, just that first verse and just answer some questions. Uh, because I think this idea of like testing and trials uh, is... Man, it's, it's difficult to think about when we're, we're thinking about how can a good God do certain things or allow certain things. And I can't say that we're going to give all the answers today, but, but as specific as we can be about testing and trials, I want us just to answer some questions and maybe even ask some, some difficult ones and leave some unanswered because I think that's okay too. Um, so let's go ahead and read verses 12 through 19. And it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. 
but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is the time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, then what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I think uh, my, my opinion of test is incredibly shaped or is shaped mostly by my like college experience and which... Uh, I'll be honest, like my first freshman year at Clemson was, was pretty much an utter failure. Like if I can say first freshman year, that means that I had two. I did. Um, and because, you know, I went to Clemson like full academic ride, you know, things were going to be easy. And, but I didn't realize that college was different than high school, that you actually had to work. And, you know, it, it took me a little while to figure that out. And so I had two freshman years. And, but in, I remember in that first freshman year taking biology at Clemson and huge, you know, huge auditorium full of students. And the, the worst thing that the professor ever could say to me was, no, I don't take attendance. And so, I don't take attendance. And so, what I hear when someone says that is, you can show up when you want. Well, uh, the first unit made it through fine. I showed up, you know, took that first exam, did, did well. I'm like, man, I don't have to be here that much. He doesn't even take attendance. That exam was cake. And so, back then was, you know, it was the early day of Scantrons. This was like 98 and so I remember, I, you know, the next morning after that exam, I was like, you know what? It's an 8 o'clock class. No big deal. I'll just sleep in. I'll just, I'll just sleep in. That day turned into two and turned into weeks. And, you know, I would go on CLE and I'd read the notes. I'd be like, ah, I'm fine. And then one day I decided, you know what? I should probably go to class, even though he doesn't take attendance. Well, he didn't take attendance and I didn't read the syllabus. And I show up and they're handing out scantrons at the door. And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, no. And that meant that there's an exam that I am completely unprepared for. Like, I was shocked. I'm like, how could he give an exam that he didn't tell us about? But he did, of course, tell you about it. It's all in the syllabus. You knew exactly when every exam was. That's the reason, you know, attendance was like, you know, it was optional. And so I remember walking in that day and thinking, man, I was totally, completely shocked and unprepared for this exam. And you know what? I failed it miserably. I dug a deep enough hole that coming out of that, that semester was nearly entirely impossible. And so Peter here is going ahead and he's telling you, he's like, look, uh, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. So this ultimately is the syllabus, okay? Whether you attend or not, whether you do whatever or not, you're being told right now that tests and trials, they're going to come as a byproduct of the fact that you have been bound to God through Jesus. The Spirit of God lives in you. Tests are going to come. And tests are going to come um, in the form of many different things. Uh, but what we have to do as faithful stewards of God's grace and as students of Jesus is we need to be able to look and we need to see the value in testing and be able to identify what is going on on. And so a couple things. Number one um, that I'll point out in this quick verse right here. Uh, we already said it. Tests and trials, they're going to come. Um, but here's the other thing. There's like this modifier right before trial in the ESV, and it's, it's fiery. And, and that word kind of exists in any translation that we look at. 
uh, that adjective is, is going to be there, and because it, it's telling us that these tests and these trials, um, they can be rough sometimes. Like, they can be rough. They're not, they're not going to be quizzes. They're going to be exams, you know. In quizzes, you've got 20 of those in a semester, if we're going back to our college metaphor. You've got a lot of those. It's based on what you read the night before. No, these are tests, and they're going to be the ones that make you sweat, make you cry. They're, they're going to be rough. You know, we've been talking about suffering the past couple of weeks, and suffering is this umbrella phrase for anything that comes upon us that is difficult, that brings stress, that brings pain, uh, that brings just, just anguish. But the word this week changes to uh, pirazo, which literally means um, a difficulty that's going to come upon you, but there's an outcome that's desired. It's a test. It's a trial. Uh, I read a neat quote by Billy Graham this week. And there's no way that you can't not like Billy Graham. I mean, he was um, a saint for our generation, but he was asked about tests and trials, and he said, remember this, if our faith is weak, it may not be obvious when life is going smoothly and we aren't challenged in any way. He said, but when hard times come, a weak faith will be revealed for what it really is, shallow and unable to help us through life's difficulties. It may be anything, an unexpected illness, the death of a loved one, the loss of our job, or even a friend who turns against us, against us. But when hard times happen, the true nature of our faith will be revealed. But God doesn't test us because He doesn't know how strong we are. This is huge. He says instead, He tests us because we don't know how strong we are. And we only realize it when times of testing come. Like, here's the thing about testing that separates it from all the other umbrella ideas of suffering. Like, God's not testing us because He's cruel. He's not testing us because He needs to be amused. No, God tests those whom He loves because He desires an outcome. The outcome in Scripture would call it would be sanctification. Like, He's desiring to set us apart further from the rest of the world to make us more like Jesus, to make us rely on the Father more, but also, just like what Billy Graham's saying here, is like sometimes the testing is not so that God sees what we're made of, but it's so that we can see what we're made of. And very often, the difficult truth is, sometimes it's going to reveal what we're not made of, too. And so, testing is not just this blanket idea of suffering or persecution, but it's the idea that God is going to, God is going to cause something to come upon us, a difficulty, a stressor, to reveal something to us. Um, Man, I love Kip Kaiser, and I bring him up way too much, but Kip works with steel, and we had a new guy that's been coming who's a metallurgical engineer, and I was hoping he was going to be here today. But the idea of, man, the crucible of just, man, taking metal to its melting point and then heating it and heating it until all the impurities are raised to the top and they can be scooped away, and so what's left is just this beautiful, refined, pure metal, be it steel, be it gold, be it silver, whatever it may be. Um, That's the desire, the design of a fiery trial, to take the heart, to take the soul of a believer who is bound to God already, eternally, through Jesus, but is to refine, to heat us up until the impurities rise and they can be scraped away. It's called dross. The dross can be just removed. And so what's left is this beautiful thing. And if we even go back to the beginning of 1 Peter, we even see this. Uh, It says... um, And I lost my place entirely, sorry. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. And it says, so this testing of you 
produces something far more precious than the best of anything we've seen. The more precious of gold, the more precious of jewels. And this is what God desires. And so testing is not just this, this general blanket idea of suffering. So he goes on, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at this fiery trial. It's difficult. It's, it's, uh, it's not comfortable. Sometimes it can get hot, but it's going to, to aid in our refinement. Um, and don't be, don't be just like surprised by it as though something strange were happening to you. So I think the other thing that this confronts in us too is it confronts this, man, the prosperity gospel idea that if we give our lives to Jesus, that as soon as we do, everything in the words of my grandmother is just going to be hunky-dory. Like that's not a phrase we use nearly enough anymore, hunky-dory, but we should bring it back. Uh, we should be marked by the phrase, never mind. Um, but just that's, that's not the reality. You know, there's a couple things wrong with that. Number one, it's not true. But number two, that wouldn't be a very loving God to save us and then leave us exactly as we were. That's not his desire. His desire is to refine, to make us look more and more like Jesus. And sometimes the way that occurs is through pressure, through pain, through testing and trials. He said, don't be surprised. This is not a strange thing. It may be in the life of a believer something that's somewhat normal to be tested. And he says, but... Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He's like, and here's another thing about this. Understand that this suffering that you're enduring, understand it's probably not nearly as much as Jesus's, but it's yet one more way that we're united with him. He suffered for his obedience and his call to be obedient, even to the point of death, according to Philippians. Um, but now we get to suffer alongside of Jesus, and it's one more thing that unites us with him. And so here are the questions that I wanted to, to answer and ask this morning. Like, if we want to think well about suffering, we're going to look back at James 1 in just a minute, but uh, if we're thinking specifically in the sense of, like, trials, how is it different? How are trials different from the other types of sufferings that we may endure as a believer? Like, this is not an exhaustive list, but I think there, there are probably five that we're going to see represented probably easily in the New Testament. If we go back further, we can see more. The first, obviously, is tests and trials. We'll come back from that, come back to that. But the, the other type of suffering that we're going to see that is different from this is, is the sin-related suffering. Not talking tests and trials. We're talking sin-related suffering. This is the type of suffering, not from God. This is a result of me being lured away, being enticed to do something that was in opposition to God's desire. And sometimes as a result of our sin, we're going to suffer. Different, different from tests and trials. I want to make sure that we differentiate between the two. This, this is not a deal from God because God does not cause us to sin. He doesn't do that. He does not tempt uh, we'll look at that text in just a minute. But these, these are sins. These are things in me that I have done uh, that are, now I'm paying the price for. Uh, earthly examples of this would be I steal someone's car, I go to jail. Guess what? Jail's not fun. I suffer in jail. Not God's fault. That's my fault. I stole a car. I, I've never done that. That's a, you know, this is a hypothetical. Um, but, but imagine that I've had my car stolen. But anyway, um, yeah, sin. Sin leads to pain, suffering, different from tests and trials. Earthly example, we go to jail. But spiritual example, sometimes as a result of my sin, there will be pain, there will be discipline, there will be rebuke that will come from God, and it will hurt, it will be difficult, it will not be fun. Um, we can go back, and a lot of people don't believe that that happens. We can't completely unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, uh, even though people would like us to. We can't. We can go back and we can see examples of, of this happening. Like if there's sin, sometimes there's a consequence. Sometimes that consequence is pain, difficulty, suffering. Not the same as tests and trials. God doesn't test us and try us by leading us towards sin. We do that. Uh, 
another type of area in which that brings about suffering, brings about difficulty. Man, it's just as a fact that we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken and fallen world. Since, man, since the fruit came off the tree and touched the lips and was devoured, man, sin entered the world. And as a result of that, there is sickness, there is other sin and other people, there's all those things. And sometimes our suffering is just an effect of the, the man, the consequence of living in a fallen world. I didn't do it, you didn't do it, but sin is here. It's affected all of creation at a genetic level, if we want to go that far. The fabric of the universe has been wrecked by sin. And so sometimes our suffering is just a result of that. It's not always a lesson, not always a test. Sometimes it's just a result. Um, Going a little further, persecution, which we've talked about already. Persecution, not the same Greek word, not the same idea. Sometimes as a result of knowing Jesus, being bound to Jesus eternally through the Spirit, uh, we will be persecuted. We will be slandered. Uh, again, we talked about that, that uh, that is not being asked to wear a mask in church. That's not persecution. Uh, we talked about that a few weeks ago, uh, but we talked about persecution is, is more than that. And to be honest, it may start with words and those hurt, but in the rest of the world, the church sees it in a completely different light than we do. Persecution around the world to believers is terrible. We can't imagine it. We live in this Americanized Christian bubble, and so our view of persecution is basically schoolyard words compared to what our, our brothers and sisters around the world suffer on a daily basis. It costs them their life. That's persecution. Again, not tests and trials, something different. The other is um, sometimes we will suffer because we are just, man, we are being tempted like crazy to go in another direction. So we already talked about sin, but sometimes even leading up to this idea of sin or even getting to this place when we're just at the line, just struggling and fighting temptation, there will be suffering on our part there. But again, we're, we're told that uh, in James 1, 13-14, that, that God does not tempt. He does not do this. This is not the way that He's going to test us and refine us. He's not going to dangle the carrot in front of us and see if we're going to take it. That's not God. Uh, we are, we're kind of subject to the authority of the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan who's in control of sin. He's doing that. Now, I do believe that that's going to be a test and a refinement process for the entire church of all times and all places, but that's a different, a different day and a different uh, series. But Uh, God is not leading us towards temptation. He's not doing that. Um, And as a matter of fact, he gives prescription in James 4, 7 that uh, if temptation is causing us to suffer, the prescription is this, that we resist the devil and he will flee. So if temptation is there, if we're struggling, if it's a battle, if that war, that tug of war between flesh and spirit is going on, man, we resist the devil, he's going to run. But the difference in all of these things is that tests and trials, there is, it is an elicited pressure from God that there's a desired outcome for. It's different. Now, the similarity between all these is that, yes, we can learn lessons from every single one. Like, we can learn lessons after we sin. Man, there's a great lesson to learn. Don't do that again. (laughs) Confess, repent, turn from that. When we repent, we don't just turn away from that sin, but we start walking in the opposite direction, maybe running if necessary, so we can learn lessons from each one of these things. But again, the tests and the trials, uh, they are different. And so, I do want us to flip over to James chapter 1 now, and I want to I read just a couple of things, starting in James 1, um, we'll go 2 through 15. And so, just listen, I don't even think we'll have all of that on the screen, Andrew, so don't, don't worry about trying to pop it all up there. So, it says, count it all joy, or consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may may be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother exalt in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also would the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire will have its conceived, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So, so many lessons in James that go right along with this idea that we're seeing in 1 Peter. And so the question I think that we ask and we can answer here and in other places is, what do we do with trials? Like, what do we do with them? How do we, how do we retrain our mind to actually do what this text is prescribing, to consider it all joy, to count it all joy? How do we do that in the midst of difficulty? Because, again, the adjective there in First Peter is fiery trials. Don't be surprised. Uh, don't, don't think something's wrong here. This is okay, but they are. They're difficult. They're fiery. Um, I think the first is this. What do we do with trials? Um, if we can look at what we're going through and kind of compare it to that other list and say, hey, this is not a result of my sin. Okay, I'm not suffering as a result of my sin. Uh, this is not a result of me just simply living in a fallen world. Um, this is not a result of persecution, and this is not a result of me being convicted because I'm dealing with temptation. It's very well that it could be a test or a trial. And if it's that, here, here's what we do. The first thing is this. In the midst of these trials... I think the first is that, man, we just kind of have to be resolute to say, God, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to trust you in this. Because our temptation, when the pressure comes, our temptation is to flee. Our temptation is not to sit and just be in a place of trust. Our temptation is to run. But instead, this idea of steadfastness, which is going to come up very often, steadfastness just means, hey, you've set your course, you have have plugged your coordinates into your GPS, and you're going to drive that way no matter what. So you put your head down into the wind, and you just keep going in the direction you're supposed to go into. This is what we have to do when trials come. Like, if we are believing that God is a good God, we have to start with that supposition that He's good. He's not trying to break us. He's not trying to destroy us. In fact, He's trying to elicit pressure to bring about the refinement of us. We just have to be resolute, and we say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Now, I'll go ahead and throw it out there. In the midst of, in the, midst of the trials, that's probably the hardest thing to do. Because when the pressure really comes and the pain starts to come, when it really begins to be fiery, we're just like, hey, God, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? Hey, you tell me what I've done wrong, and I'll fix it. But if we've already gone through that checklist, am am I living in sin? Is there sin that I need to repent and repent and confess of? Is this a result of that? Uh, You know, those other questions that we ask, if we can answer no to all of those, then it's just we haven't done anything wrong. God's desiring to bring out something in us that's better. I think the other mindset that we have to adopt with this, too, is even though he may test us uh, in our job, he may test us in our home, he may test us in, in so many different areas of our life, God's desire is not to, to make you a better employee. Now, hear me out. God's desire is not to make you a better husband or to make you a better wife. It's not to make you a better parent. No, God's desire is to make you a better follower of Jesus. 
Now, as a result of being a better follower of Jesus, you will be a better employee. You will be a better dad. You will be a better husband. You will be a better wife, a better mother. It will happen. But his ultimate desire is to make you more like Jesus, to make me more like Jesus, to sanctify me, to further set me apart, to further set you apart to someone who looks entirely different than the world standards. And so we do have to adopt this mentality that, hey, even though this is difficult, uh, this is for the glory of God by the way in which he's changing me, and I'm going to choose to trust you in that. Uh, James 1.12 that we just read, it, it reminds us even in the midst of this that uh, we'll be blessed. How does that look from person to person? I don't know, but blessing is that this idea in Scripture that, that God is going to take care of you. Do we know what it's going to look like beforehand? No, but I think we'll recognize it when it comes. It could be you can be an better employee, a better dad, a better husband, better wife, better spouse in general, better parent. Yes, it could be those things, but either way, we just have to trust God for the, for the unknown. And again, the idea of trusting that it's, it is going to make us more like Jesus, even if it's just the fact that we get to understand a little bit of the suffering he went through as a result of his obedience. Even if that's the blessing, that's worth rejoicing for, that if I can identify with Jesus just a little bit more, that's huge. In a life in which it would be so easy to be completely disconnected from the deity of Jesus, from the life of Jesus, the walk, the heart of Jesus, to know that this test, this trial could make me a little more like him, that's worth rejoicing. And understand again, in, in this trusting process, he's growing, not killing. He's growing, not killing. Um, even in the middle of it, when it feels like we're dying. He's trying to grow, not kill. I think the second thing that we do in the, the midst of these trials, uh, it's prescriptive right here in James. Uh, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, now this, this text is quoted out of context a lot of times. It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If we're in the midst of a trial, we've already eliminated all these other things. And to be honest, sometimes we won't be able to do those in the moment. Sometimes it will be fully retrospective. But if we're in the middle of this and we can eliminate those or even after, and we don't understand, God, why are you doing this? Scripture tells us, ask. Just ask. Like, I think that's one thing about faith that we've adopted just from one small line of Scripture that we haven't held up to the light of the rest of Scripture. We call faith, we call faith blind all the time. We say that we follow Jesus without reason, without rationale, without proof. Do you know that Jesus tells us all the time, if you don't believe, just ask me and I'll show you. We're not putting God to the test, but in this place, if it's a trial or if it's a test, and we're like, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this, if we misinterpret Scripture, we just sit there and we're like, it's okay, I don't have to understand. This passage right here is saying in the midst of these trials that you should find joy in, it's okay to ask God, what are you doing? Not to doubt the outcome, not to doubt the veracity of what's going on, but just to say, God, I need wisdom. I need knowledge that goes beyond my understanding. I need knowledge that goes beyond my circumstance. I want to know like you know, see like you see, feel like you feel. God, clue me in to what's going on. It's okay to say, God, I don't understand. Help me. I don't understand, but help me. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom in the midst of a test or a trial, ask to God who gives to all willingly, freely, without reproach, without asking you for an explanation, without asking you for a payment. He will give wisdom. There's a modifier there, though. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let, let wisdom, let him ask of God. I said wisdom. Sorry, it made me laugh. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. But, but, let them ask in faith with no doubting. 
See, faith, it always comes back around to what we believe and how strongly we believe. Even in the midst of our faith being revealed through a trial, when we're being told you need to ask for wisdom, he's saying, by the way, you need to believe that you're going to get it too. You're going to believe. Like, if you're going to ask me for something, believe wholeheartedly that I'm going to answer. Maybe that's the test. Maybe sometimes the test is, is not the outcome that's down the road. Maybe sometimes the outcome is just in the middle, that we need to believe that God's going to answer our questions, that, that we're in the midst of the fiery furnace, the trial of test and temptation and all of those things, uh, like that he's going to answer when we ask. But it says, if you ask, ask in faith. And then he goes on to say, he's like, uh, ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. They're telling us, this passage is telling us, written probably one of the earliest books written in the New Testament to a group of believers that were just, man, flying blind to a degree, just, just on a few things that they had heard. He's like, when you ask something of God, you better believe that he's going to answer, but you need to believe fully. Don't do the lip service prayer. Don't do the, the perfunctory uh, just praying for the sake of the words. No, pray from a place of, God, I know that you hear me. I know that you're going to answer me, and I'm not doubting it for a second. He says, because if you are, you're like a wave. And guess what? A wave never knows where it's going to go. It's driven by currents. It's driven by wind. It crashes on everything. It's unstable. It can't be predicted. It says, no, ask in faith. Don't be double-minded. Don't be pulled in multiple directions. Be singular in what we believe, that God hears me, God is going to answer me. Ask that way. In the midst of trial and temptation, seek wisdom. But if we seek it, we have to believe that we're going to get it. Because if we don't, we won't. You're like, well, that's not fair. No, no, no. It's, it's the way faith works. Believe fully in order to hear fully. Third thing, I think, is this. We find it in James 1.12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And we've already talked about this a little bit. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Remember, God's out to refine, not to kill. Here's the deal. When tests and trials come, man, don't retreat. Be steadfast. Don't retreat. Yes, we trust God. Yes, we seek wisdom. We do it in faith. But in the midst of it, man, unless we're heading towards sin, which hopefully we're not because this would be a separate issue, man, just keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't retreat. Just keep going. Be steadfast. Be resolute is probably one of my favorite words. Just, man, be resolute. We've made the decision. Stick with it. Our culture says, no, 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 you don't have to stick with anything. You can test it. You can return it in 30 days. You can return it in 60 days, whether it's a difficult marriage, whether it's difficult parenting, whether it's a difficult job. No matter what the difficulty is, you can get a refund for any of it. The idea of being resolute is lost on our culture. There is nothing that, is, that you have to say, yes, I promise to do this, and I'm going to keep doing it. That's not normal now. That's not normal. But imagine again the example of Jesus, the faith that he lived out. Like, we, we get to emulate that. And we get to look at Jesus not like a robot, but as a faithful servant who came to die on my behalf. And his entire path was marked by resoluteness from the beginning. 
born in a manger with no herald singing to him, even though he was the king of everything, being persecuted at every turn, being beaten to the place that he could have just said stop. And instead, it was resolute in him that said, I will continue, I will march, I will carry my own cross, and I will die your death. That is what we emulate. Even in the midst of fiery testing and trials, it's the resolute nature of Jesus that's being rebirthed in me and rebirthed in you. We have to choose to be resolute. And here's the thing. We have to choose it before the trial. Again, we're being given the syllabus in 1 Peter that says, do not be surprised when this thing comes upon you, this fiery trial. I'm telling you that it's going to happen. So before it ever gets there, we have to choose. We're going to trust God. We're going to seek wisdom. And no matter what, we're going to be steadfast. Because if we haven't decided that beforehand, I can tell you for sure when it comes, we will not be those things. We will not do those things. Because the pressure does become more than we can bear. It becomes difficult, and it is pain, and it is fiery. It's called that. Do not be surprised. Instead, be prepared. Which is the point of the whole book. Be prepared. And I think the fourth, after we choose those things, after we acknowledge those things... Uh, like we talked about just a chapter and a half ago. Um, share what we learn. Share what we learn. Because, by the way, tests and trials, they're not just about your sanctification. They're also about the body's sanctification. The body of Christ, the church, and our collective sanctification, our collective being set apart, being different. Again, 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15, I, I go back to it over and over in my brain. It says, but even if you should suffer for the righteousness, of, for righteousness sake, the umbrella idea of suffering, you will be blessed. Have no fear, uh, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or to give an answer to anyone at, who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Man, at the end of the test and trial, maybe even in the midst Share what we learn. Share about the experience. Share your story. And that's the reason we talk about those four parts to our story all the time. And we will continue. What was your life like before Jesus? How did he grab your attention? How did you respond? And what's your life been like since? That fourth part, that pinky part, man, how, did, how has our life been different since? In the midst of all of these parts, we can talk about the tests and the trials that God has brought us through to refine us, to make us more precious than gold and jewels. We can talk about the nature of being resolute. We can talk about the nature of trusting Jesus in the midst. We can talk about the nature of asking for wisdom when, in true faith. Man, we get to share our story. And it serves not just to sanctify you, but it serves to sanctify others. Because imagine, imagine this for just a minute. Imagine... Uh, one of your best friends is, is struggling with a, a faith um, difficulty, just like you did six years ago. And instead of a fiery trial coming upon them, they can learn from your experience. God can grow them from your experience, so they get to avoid that trial. The sanctification of others. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And then in verse 19, I love how it kind of concludes this passage. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I think that key component to the, the test and the trials is just to say, you know what, God? I trust you with the pain. 
I trust you with the process, and I trust you with the outcome. I trust you with the pain, I trust you with the process, and I trust you with the outcome. And again, if we're not prepared before, I don't think we'll do that on the tail end. So do not be surprised. Trials will come. Tests will come. They can be painful. But the other thing Scripture tells us is that they do end. They are seasonal. And they have a purpose. But man, we have to just say, God, I trust you with the pain. I trust you with the process. And I trust you with the outcome. Maybe, man, maybe you're in the midst of one like right now. I don't know. Like I feel like, you know, it would be easy for us to look at the past several months and say, yeah, I've been tested this entire time, but, but let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be clear with, with how we're dealing with Scripture, how we're looking at His process. Uh, maybe you are dealing with a legitimate, you know, just a test now that God is attempting to refine you, to make you more like Jesus. Um, I would encourage you this week to do a couple things. Run, run that, those steps that we talked about. Number one, uh, trust God. Number two, ask for wisdom, but do it in faith. Um, number three, be resolute or be steadfast. Number four, be willing to share your story. I would even tell you, go ahead and jump to number four. They don't necessarily have to be sequential. Uh, maybe you just need to sit down and tell somebody, man, I feel like God is just, man, he is burning me up to do something right now. He is, man, he is testing me. Share that with somebody. And they can begin to ask for wisdom on your behalf and ask in faith. But, but they, maybe they can even grow with you, share what is going on now. Maybe, um, and I truly believe this, that God knits us together for a reason. Maybe the test is bigger than you can endure on your own. Maybe the trial is bigger than you can do just as an isolated believer. Maybe you need to link arms with somebody else and say, man, I am just, I am being beat right now. Maybe you just need to start sharing now. I encourage you, share. Share what's going on so that, we can, so that we can intercede on your behalf, but maybe, even, maybe we can even learn from your tests so that we don't have to endure it too. That'd be good. Um, let me pray, and we're going to worship a little more, and uh, we'll get out of here. Or shut your computer off or whatever you're doing. God, we love you. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for the fact that you are a God that loves us enough not to leave us alone and not to leave us as we were. Um, God, I thank you that even in the midst of, of just pain and difficulty, God, that you have a plan. You have a, a plan for the pain, the process, and the outcome. God, I pray that you would move us to be believers who trust in that. I pray that you would uh, continue to, to set us apart further so that we look more and more like Jesus, not for our sake, but for your glory and for the growth of your kingdom. I pray you continue just to move. God, I pray for the, those that are a part of our faith family, God, that are in the midst of just... Uh, fiery trials, tests. God, I pray that you would give them strength. I pray that you would bolster their faith. But God, I pray that they would begin to share with those around them what you're doing in them. And God, I pray that you would move in us as a family to seek wisdom on behalf of those who are in the midst, that we would seek strength on behalf that are those who are in the midst. Um, and God, that you would grow your entire family as a result. Thank you for being a God who loves us that much. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.